0: Greater knowledge, and understanding, and confidence in understanding the world, who you are, what you're doing, and how we can share that with others through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In honor of Cowboy Sunday, I want to start with uh, a piece here this morning and On the Sound, guys. Uh, this, it's a cowboy poet, Tom Swearingen, and he's sharing one of his uh, poems with kind of a, a group in a, in a home, it looks like. And I apologize, the sound quality, his voice always drops towards the end of the sentence. So on the sound, guys, we're going to have to crank it up pretty good, pretty strong, so we can hear his voice when it drops off. This poem is about the sound of hoofbeats. We'll give you a little clue. The sound of hoofbeats. I hear
1: something special when a whistle thinks There's nothing that's magical. Could be a gentle clip-clop, just ambling down, down the street, or thunder at the gap, just like the other place. Don't matter whether barefoot or shod with nails and steel. There's nothing else after it gives me back the feet. I've heard the greatest orchestras and the divas' glorious song, and choirs harmonizing like a grand angelic throng. I've seen the laden greatness from Elvis to George Jones, those with voices that move and really shake deep into your bones. But I hear something special in a horse that the ground, if nothing else is matched with the that sound. I've heard a child's first words in the wind of the new and beautiful songs of yesteryear and classic poems of old. It echoes through the canyon, the coyotes checking in. Gentle sound but even the breeze okay, is a piece of its peaceful end. Yes, those sounds are wonderful, and each speaks to my soul, but so does the sound of hoofbeats and horses the When I hear those horses' hoofbeats, I'm telling what I'll find. With imagination running free, painting pictures in my mind. A future derby winner leading on the red. Pony express rider, rushing someone's mail. Finals barrel racer turning on a dime. The old country doctor's buggy to ride just in time. Desperado's getaway and on a spree. The posse hot behind, him to hanging him in a tree. Or a bread to buck saddle on a flank and just set loose. A proud human tilda on a swift coyote. Well, the horses I grew up with when I was just a pup, flip, silk, <laughs> Tree. Yeah. and my stick horse, gig. <laughs> <laughs> when I hear those horses' hoof beats and tell what I'll find with imagination, mind free, painting pictures in my mind. Because I hear something special when a horse hoof hits the ground.
0: Nothing else is magic gets to rhythm of that sound. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So, I hadn't heard of him before. Anybody else know That's of him before? Hearing hack. Can
1: use.
0: <laughs> <laughs> His name is Tom Swearingen. I'm not sure about the exact pronunciation of the last name, but he's he's known as the cowboy poet. He lives in Oregon, but I just I wanted to share that clip because it gives you a little a picture, visual, you know, with, with his attire and stuff and his background, but also the, the poem, the story that he shares gives you a, a taste of the cowboy worldview. Okay, you can't be a cowboy or a cowgirl without a horse. Amen. And so he talks about how the 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 beauty and the wonder of the horse. The thing that he focuses on there obviously is is the sound of the hoofbeats. So whether Horses walking or trotting or galloping or, or whatever situation, how the sound of hoofbeats draws his heart and his attention. And uh, he loves riding horses. There's just a different worldview when you're riding a horse versus walking through town on concrete or, you know, flying in a plane or riding a train or whatever. It's a different view of the world when you're riding. You have that partnership with the horse beneath you. And so I wanted to lift that up because. We're looking at worldviews today in uh, the sermon. And uh, we need to really get a handle on this whole concept of the worldview. That actual word, worldview, you won't find in the Bible. okay? But the concept is all over the place. It's critical to understand uh, the world we live in. It's critical to our understanding of how to reach people who need Jesus for salvation. We've got to understand the worldview situation, what our worldview is, what the worldview is of a a non-believer, and how to bridge that gap. Okay, that's the hardest thing to do, amen? So we need uh, understanding on that. So first, let's let the Apostle Paul uh, speak into our time through his letter. This is amazing stuff. Now, I know Paul's letter has always applied to believers all through the couple thousand years it's been there. But uh, it seems like it's speaking with new fire and new freshness into our day to day right here in America. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we um, finished up last Sunday. So we're going to pick it up and it fits perfectly here for this week. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. So again, Paul writing to Timothy, young pastor, pagan city, Ephesus. He says in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, But understand this, Timothy, that in the say with me, last days there will come times of difficulty. I'm a little strong up here, guys. A little feedback. Kind of echoey. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Everybody say amen. Okay. For people will be lovers of self. Now I'm going to try and go slowly here and unpack this. Paul gives us a huge list. Now, where's this coming from, last days? That, that phrase usually refers to end times, uh, though we can say, obviously, that it, it applies and fits all along through, through life. Uh, our, um, our situation now, being persecuted, misunderstood, that's not a new thing, amen? Okay, that's been going on ever since Adam and Eve, but we're experiencing it new, fresh, and powerful, uh, disturbing ways. But he's going to give us a huge list here, and I'm going to go slow and let these sink in. And are we experiencing this now? For people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud. What's, what's the, the parade you can go to in the summertime that celebrate uh, rejection of God? We call them pride events, don't we? Uh, we shouldn't be going there. But he says, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. What do we lament about social media so much? Why is social media among our teens and kids leading to an awful lot of depression and a lot of times suicide? It's because social media is a safe, easy place to be arrogant and abusive, and it happens like crazy. <clears throat> bullying. So we're seeing that uh, just exploding with all of our devices. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, This is something we work hard on, folks, in our youth ministry. Uh, Pioneer Club, especially with the younger kids. uh, It's on my heart. We work really hard on trying to train the kids up in gratefulness. So when when, uh, Rhonda does an amazing uh, food snack, amazing different food snacks every Wednesday, and she sits down, and the kids, you know, ooh, they slam it down. They love it. They eat it. They went seconds, and they went thirds. So towards the end of that, what am I always trying to urge and teach and train the kids up? What do you say to Miss Rhonda after a wonderful snack like this? Thank you. Training Ungratefulness is really huge in our culture right now. Thank you needs to be taught and trained up in our kids. Not just the saying the words, but being grateful for receiving other people's um, ministry. So disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. So when, when somebody's demanding and whining, complaining and you give them what they want, are they, are they satisfied? Are they happy the next day? What do they do the next day? We want more. So just a, a mod, an example right now is reparations. Okay, We should, we should pay um, the black community for um, slavery that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So the first, first talk was, you know, $50,000 a person. Then it was, well, 250000 Now demanding and screaming for millions per person. Unappeasable. You can't, you can't fill that void. What else about end times? Slanderous. Without self-control. Uh, you don't want to go and search on YouTube or whatever your, your preference is. You don't want to go search because the the video of people being out of control it's all over the place no self control brutal now if you go to sound of freedom you need to be prayed up and ready for that experience the brutality in our in our country and our world is breathtaking not loving good in fact, if, if a lot of times good is being persecuted and tromped on and, and pushed back against. Verse 4 treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Say this one next one with me. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. How does Paul end, end the summary of this whole list? He says, What? Avoid. Such people. Now, interesting. How do you avoid people, and how do you also love them in Christ and reach out to them? It's it's uh, it's a discernment thing with the Lord, right? There are folks folks who are sold out in these things. Um, we might have opportunities to love them in Christ. We might have opportunities to share the gospel with them. There might also be times when the Holy Holy Spirit says, Psst, "Walk away, avoid such people." We need to be carefully listening to the Holy Spirit in each encounter. Amen. Okay, verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This just pops into my head. Uh, no offense, what they're all dead and gone now. But the, <laughs> the first church I served, one of the, the ladies' quilting group, I had my office was up above in the corner of the church and it was down the stairs to the kitchen and right there was where they set up and the big tables and did their quilts and stuff. And so I'd be working in my office and preparing Bible studies and sermons and you know, doing pastor stuff. And if my door was open, my door was open one day and I could hear the conversation happening around the quilt. And very quickly I was disturbed and then I was distraught. I was upset. I could not believe the stuff I was hearing. It was garbage. It had no place in the house of God. It wasn't uh, Christ-filled. It was flesh-filled. And I, I, I literally got up from my desk and went downstairs and had a little conversation with the ladies. They were always learning. They'd have Bible study and devotion and then walk right into the flesh and just let rip on people. It was unbelievable. Always learning. Never able to have a knowledge of the truth. They didn't know Jesus. So we had a conversation. We had prayer. Verse 8, he says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. These, can, can you give any strong, stronger words to this? but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Understand this, Paul says, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Are we having difficult times? This behavior, this perspective on life, this rejection of God, this rejection of truth, this perspective is all, it says, it's all about me, I'm the only one that matters. I'm God. I'll decide what makes me happy today. And I'll decide what my version of truth is. That's what we're wrestling with. That's, the, that's what the fuss is all about today. That kind of battle. Why these times of difficulty? Why is it happening now? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's just a few pages to the left if you've got your paper Bibles. They are the best, by the way. <laughs> That's a joke, people. Come on. 2 ha, 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 ha. Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul's going to tell us why we're struggling with this kind of stuff in our times. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, that's the ultimate Antichrist, though the Bible says that uh, the spirit of Antichrist has been around in the world all along. But there will be one perfect example of that in the Antichrist Himself. He says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they what they say it with me they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This is a huge battle, um, and it's at the foundation of all the stuff we're wrestling with. Um, Do you care about the truth? That's one of the questions we can ask people when we have these conversations. Verse 11. Therefore God sends them... Now this is challenging to hear, but we need to hear it and receive it. Amen? Verse 11. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion. What kind of delusion? A strong one. A strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what Paul says is, when human beings sell themselves out completely to reject God, to reject His truth, and to make themselves God, and to only love their own truth, Paul says, when you go that far and hard against God, the Lord will give you what you ask for. He will let you become your own little personal God and see where that goes. Now God's hope and His love and His care is that what? What? Your own personal kingdom will crash and burn and blow up in your face, and that you might end up on your knees with a wrecked life, and say, "I guess I couldn't be God after all." Maybe there's another. Maybe it's you, and come back to Him. So we know verse eleven. Read it again, verse eleven and twelve. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion because He doesn't love them anymore. No, because He loves them passionately. And he gives us the gift of freedom because he loves us so much. And we can freely choose to reject him and go our own way. God says, if you make that choice, I will let you run with it until you run into a wall. And maybe in that moment, you will turn around and come back to me. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, This is why I pray often on Sunday mornings about our nation and and the whole world, but our nation, about truth. People don't care about truth anymore. All they care about is trying to make myself happy from day to day. And that's a huge part of the battle we're in. So when people hate truth, God sends a strong delusion. So what we have here, two worldviews are clashing now when we back up to a truth level and look just at, just at truth, the word and the concept, there are only two worldviews you can have regarding truth. One is, God is truth and his word is perfect truth and I will base my understanding of the world and how to operate in it based on God and his truth. That's my worldview. The only other option you can have is that there's some other worldviews other, uh, source of truth, it's human source, or there is no truth at all, everything is relative and do whatever you want to because it doesn't matter. But those are your two worldview choices, God and his truth, or some version of humankind's own, uh, own, own creation of it. Let's look together at George Barna's seven cornerstones of biblical worldview. It'll be up on the screen too for those of you online. Thank you, Beth. Oh, kind of small, isn't it? Yeah, there's, it's hard when I send something from my computer over to here and up on the screen. It's a challenge. But uh, just going to run through these kind of quickly. George Barna is a Christian who attempts to use surveys and questions to understand where's people in America at with God, where are they at with the Bible, where are they at with Christian faith and beliefs. And he uses these surveys to help pastors like me uh, know better how to address and train and teach the people of God uh, where we're lacking, where we need to be stronger. And I, what I'm trying to do this morning is help you get more confident in understanding these issues, so you can have conversations, productive conversations with other people. Say glory. glory. Okay. Here's the seven cornerstones, and this is George Barnes. Uh, it's not from the, it's not a Bible list of seven in in Proverbs or something, but it's all from Scripture. So number one, he just says. A a biblical worldview, number one, means an orthodox biblical understanding of God. What's orthodox mean? It means not heretical. It means completely in agreement with Scripture all the way through. Okay, Apostles' Creed. Think orthodox, think Apostles' Creed. That kind of stuff. Number two. All human beings are sinful by nature. Choices have moral considerations and consequences. Number three, consequences of sin can only be forgiven and redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is available only by personal faith, confession, and complete reliance on His grace. And fourth one, the entire Bible is true, reliable, and relevant, making it the best moral guide for every person in all situations. I put a star by that one because that's one that's, just, that's blowing up in our current culture. Number five is also, I start it. Four and five is where worldview clashes are blowing up right now in our country, and our culture. Number five, absolute moral truth exists. Everybody say, thank you, thank you, God. If we didn't have absolute moral truth, we would not know the difference between right and wrong. We wouldn't have a compass. We wouldn't know how to walk through life, how to think, how to act. Absolute moral truth exists, and those truths are defined by whom? By God, described in the Bible, and are unchanging. So our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence, they they reference who our Creator is, where truth comes from, because they knew it comes from God and it comes from knowledge of the Bible. Without those things, we are lost. The Founding Fathers all wrote and said things like, this Constitution, this, this democracy, this republic, it only works if the people care about God and care about walking with Him. So why are we seeing it fall apart? because most of our population doesn't care about God anymore and doesn't care about walking with Him. Is there any government that works in the current spiritual climate? Doesn't matter what form your government is, it won't work. Without God as the head. Sixth one, ultimate purpose of human life is to know, love, and serve God with all one's heart, mind, and strength. Seventh one, success on earth is best understood as consistent obedience to God in thought, word, and deed. So current stats, so where are we at in America? If these are seven ways to kind of measure, do you have a biblical worldview or not? uh, Where are we at right now in America today? Stats as of 2023, a few months ago, in the United States of America, 3% of Americans embrace all seven cornerstones that we just looked at for their life. 3% in America have a rock-solid biblical worldview. Now, there's lots of people who believe a few of these, but you can't believe a few of these and have a biblical worldview of God. 3% of Americans embrace all seven cornerstones. Everybody say, we're in the minority. Now, you can look at that, and you can be depressed about that. Amen? Or you can look at that and say, We are shining brighter than ever before. Hallelujah. Those who are hungry for the light, looking for the light, maybe not even realizing there is a light out there, they have a better opportunity of seeing and hearing it when they come into contact with us now because the darkness is so pervasive. So shine, Jesus, shine. Amen? Amen. This little of mine, I'm going to let it what? Shine. So 3% of Americans embrace all seven cornerstones. Uh, In the parentheses, I put the age 18 to 29 bracket. Raise your hand if you're in that bracket. Go ahead be bold. Go on, get it up there. Praise the Lord. We love having you here. Uh, You're in a challenging age bracket. You know that. Ages 18 to 29, only 1% in your age bracket believes in all seven of the fundamental things of a biblical worldview. Now, that's not overwhelming. You think about all the rest, you know, 30 and above, only 2% in that age bracket. So we're not trying to just make you feel really depressed. We're showing you that you have tremendous opportunities uh, to shine. Almost nobody (laughs) in that age group is um, believing and understanding and walking in a biblical worldview. The next line down says 80% of Americans believe at least one or more of the cornerstones. So we're not complete rejecting of God in every single way. 80% have some of it. In that same young age group, ages 18 to 29, 10% believe one or more are valid. That's a huge drop-off, right? That's, that's challenging. And then the bottom one is 20, 20% of Americans reject all seven. That's uh, complete atheism. 20%. That's higher than it's ever been. It continues to grow. These are the cornerstones of a biblical worldview. Is there any hope for those who have a non biblical worldview? Go back to 2 Timothy. We ended there last Sunday. This is a powerful scripture. For us to hang our hats on, our hopes on, right now today, Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-four. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Say this with me. God may perhaps no say this with me. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. This is our hope. This is our prayer. Okay? So if somebody whose worldview is based on messed up idea of truth and not God's truth, how do we approach them? How do we get them saved? We need to gauge them in conversation. Um, let's just clarify this some more, the two worldviews. The Bible boils it down, makes it really simple for us. The Bible says either people are for Christ or against Christ. You can't, be, you can't be middle ground. You're either for or against Him. The Bible says Jesus is Lord in your life, or the devil is Lord of your life. Most people aren't aware of that, but uh, that's your only two choices. Super clear, amen? Either people have a biblical worldview or or they don't. Two choices. So one of the things we can do in conversation with folks is listen to their perspective. Listening is is critical. If you just come in riding on your horse with your sword and your shield and start beating them up with biblical worldview, they're not gonna receive it. They need to know that you care about their position, that you have some understanding of what they're sharing, so that you then have permission to share your perspective. So we're going to, then we're going to help them understand that Christians don't hate other people. This is what's being thrown at us all the time in the media, in the courts now, right? Hate legislation is coming up. All, you don't be glad we're not in Canada because I might be in jail half the time for preaching the word of God. That kind of stuff might be coming our way. Hate speech here in Minnesota. Did they pass this? The governor signed it that they've got a database now that you can report people whose uh, bias, a bias report. Um, I'm probably on the bias report already. Bias against the, the current government um, favored line. So this stuff is coming our way. So we need to help people understand that Christians don't hate other people. That's not what we're about. We simply have a different worldview. Okay, so back up and say... and, and, and and uh, visit with people, but, but let them know, you know what, we have different worldviews. Have you ever heard that phrase before, worldview? Okay, if not, um, let, let me share a little bit with you. You have a different worldview for me, that's why, that's why we have different opinions about stuff in life. My worldview is based on the Bible, and I'm committed to live by it, and share it with others. That's why we have a different perspective on things in society. And so here's here's what biblical worldview means when you're trying to explain it to someone who doesn't have it. The Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. And then you can share your own testimony, I have come to know that this is true, that it really is the inspired word of God. So for a Christian who knows that the Bible is true, marriage is between one man and one woman. There are only two genders, male and female. Abortion is wrong because humans are made in the image of God. And God is the author of life. And whatever issue you toss out, it's on and on and on. This is why we believe those things, because we believe the Bible is truly the word of God, and these things are in the Bible. And they're simple and clear and powerful. Say glory. Okay? So explain to people, I I don't believe what I believe about Marriage only being a man and a woman because I don't like you, because I don't like homosexuals. I stand on that and believe that and share it with you because it is truth revealed by the God who is truth, revealed in his word of truth. And if you're going to have a relationship, a saved relationship with this holy God, you need to hear the truth and be able to receive it and respond to it by believing it. So we think and believe these things. You're sharing with this person some more. We think and believe these things because they are clearly revealed in the Bible, God's word. We don't believe them to make other people mad or because we hate people. We believe them because God's word is true. And and God's word says these things are soul. That's why we believe them. And that's why we share them with other people because we're concerned about them and their relationship with this holy God. We stand for these beliefs and tell other people about them because we care about God, we care about His truth, and we care about other people knowing that. So that's why Paul says, what we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, hey, be gentle, be kind, don't hate them, listen to them, but be reasonable with them and then share the gospel, the biblical worldview with them because some might be able to hear you, receive the truth and repent and be saved. That's our heart's desire. That's God's heart's desire. Say glory. That's what we've got to keep in mind. What does God want to do in this culture, in this whole mess right now? He wants to save people. What did God want to do last year? Before things were quite this bad, he wanted to save people. What did God want to do 10 years ago before things were really this this nuts and crazy? He wanted to save people. What's he still want to do today? He still wants to save people. So that's why Paul shares that. We've got to be careful uh, to give opportunities to people to be saved. Now, it gets a little dicier (laughs) when other Christians disagree with us about marriage being one man and one woman, or about gender fluidity, or about abortion or whatever else. When other Christians disagree with us, now we get down to some really brass tacks. Amen? Then we need to ask them, what is the foundation of your worldview? Is it the Bible? Does that include the book of Genesis? Or not? Now, most Christians who, have these, who believe different from us have not thought this through. I've found a lot of pastors who hold this position have not thought this through. But the, the, the literal truth is they have decided that Genesis isn't real truth. And so they've unhitched their biblical worldview from the foundations in Genesis. Genesis. And they may not realize it consciously, but their faith and their worldview is adrift. Is your foundation, worldview, the Bible? Second question, does that include Genesis? Maybe fine-tune it a little bit harder. Does that include Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3? Do you believe that to be the Word of God and truth or not? If it is the Word of God and truth, then you know that there are only two genders because God made male and female. Amen? Simple, straightforward, God's honest truth. Why is the world and a lot of other Christians so confused? Because they've pulled the plug on truth and trusting God's Word to be true, even Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If they don't believe Genesis is true, then we need to share with them that the rest of the entire Bible depends on Genesis to be true, to make any sense. I'm not kidding people. I've had conversations and debates with four-year trained, seminary-ordained pastors who do not understand this basic fact. You can't, you can't disavow Genesis 1, 2, and 3 because that makes the whole rest of the Bible stupid Pointless and non-functional. And they don't understand that. They think they can play with evolution and everything else and it'll all be a happy party and God used evolution. That's nonsense. It's heretical. It's evil. And to be honest, it's stupid. But they've been trained up and it taught it and they haven't used the, God, the brain God gave them to sit down and logically look through it. So when I presented the truth and the logic from Scripture, I actually had a pastor in one of these forums, he, he, turned, he was getting it, and he turned to me and he said, so you think my ministry is worthless? Now, I hadn't thought that far myself. I was shocked to hear him connect the dots But if you don't believe Genesis 1, 2, 3, here's the the
1: whoop, whoop, whoop,
0: newsflash. You don't have a biblical worldview. You aren't a biblical Christian. You're some kind of Christian. I don't know what you want to call it, but you're not a biblical Christian. And this is one of our huge problems and challenges in America because the vast majority of, of Christians in America are not biblical Christians. So we hate all them. No, no, no. Second Timothy, chapter 2 for them too. Let's sit down and have a conversation. Where does your worldview come from? What's your foundation? Is your faith based in the God of the Bible? Well, yeah, of course it is. Okay. Is it also based in the God of the Bible who wrote Genesis 1, 2, and 3? Well, I don't know. Shall we read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and see what that says? And then see if you're believing what it says male and female, marriage, abortion. Oh, okay, so it doesn't? So, what God are you following? What foundation are you using? It's not this, it's something else. It's whatever your pastor is feeding you on Sunday morning, and it's not from Scripture, it's not from God. Ding, 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 it's not truth. Oh, but science is evolution. Okay, do a little research, please. Evolution is the worst, dumbest, most trashed theory science has ever come up with. It is stupid. I can rip it to shreds all day long. I've spent most of my life gleaning honest, excellent science and evidence, but I can rip it to shreds all day long. Well, there's no way God made it, you know, 624-hour six days 6,000 years ago, really. There is boatloads of evidence all over the planet in our solar system, in our galaxy, throughout the universe. Throw whatever you want to at me and I can show how scripture told you that was the case. So, I love people. I love Christians who are have been unhinged from Genesis. They didn't make that logical choice, a conscious choice themselves. Their pastors were misled, and the pastors have been misleading the flock. So don't hate on those people. They've been deceived, they've been misled, they've been working hard at, at making money and paying the bills and getting through life. And they haven't spent much time thinking about these things. I get it. You and I need to help them think about these things because eternity hangs in the balance. So when you say that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are are mythic and poetic and all that stuff, but they really aren't true, then the whole rest of the Bible doesn't work. Because the Bible says death happened because of sin. And Jesus had to die so that our sin could go into his body and die with him. He could pay the price. So if death actually happened over millions and billions of years for evolution to work, then death has nothing to do with sin. And then Jesus on the cross makes no sense at all. And the whole rest of the Bible makes no sense at all. I presented that to a pastor, and you could just see the gears were meshing, and the teeth and the gears were breaking off. He didn't even know what to say. And then he chose to stay comfortable and not deal with the issues he was having here, and he walked away. But I pray that a seed was planted, God was gumming up the works in here, and I pray that he might come to the gospel. So it may help for Christians who don't have a biblical worldview. It may help for them to hear about all the wondrous evidence that evolution is terrible science. It has no substantive evidence to support it. Actually, the planet in the heavens contains tons of evidence the Bible is true. It might help them to hear that. If they, just, just tell them, go to Answers in Genesis on the web. There's a million websites, but that's a great one. Go to Answers in Genesis, type in your questions. They have fantastic articles from great Christian scientists. They'll answer all your questions. Go to a source where you're going to get truth that relies on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So ultimately, there's only two worldviews. A biblical worldview that says God determines truth. All the other worldviews are natural foundations, which says man decides what's truth, or there is no truth at all. I don't know how people can go there, because that's a a screaming evil void. But there's a lot of people going there. You know where the worldview began? Where the worldview war began? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. One verse. And you say, Pastor Joe, that's way back there. 6,000 years. I know. This is where the worldview war began. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, and who was speaking through the serpent? The Bible says. The devil himself. <coughs> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, say it with me, Did God actually say... That's where the worldview war began. Did God actually say that? That you shouldn't eat from that tree? That it would lead to death? Did he say that? That's not really true. (coughs) Did it turn out to be true? Sure did. Has everything God has ever said turned out to be true? Sure did. This is where the worldview war began. 6,000 years ago, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. So did God actually say those things? Moses believed it and he wrote it down. Abraham believed it. David believed it. Paul believed it. Peter believed it. Jesus believed it. I confronted the pastors one day with this. I said, what are you talking about? You can't can't say Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are mythic and poetic and not really true. Jesus quoted from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and he said, Jesus said, haven't you read? Don't you understand this simple basic truth of God? God? Jesus quoted. So if you reject Jesus Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're saying Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. I said, you got a problem. Man, did that make them squirm? College students. Ooh, makes me uncomfortable. I thought I could just reject Genesis because that's really old and Moses supposed Moses didn't write it. All that logical junk. When I said you got a problem with Jesus, because Jesus believed Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There's a lot of Christians who don't have a biblical worldview and they need to hear that. You're going to argue with Jesus about Genesis 1, 2, and 3? How's that going to go? We need to unsettle some people, amen? Jesus believed it. He quoted from it. What does it all matter? What all matters because if Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are true, Then every single person in the whole world has ever been has sin, and they got a problem with the Holy God. And Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, he said, The wages of sin is death. We're all in big, big trouble. The wages of sin is death, comma. He said, but, everybody say, I want to hear some good good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, there are a lot of Christians in America who don't have a biblical worldview, and because they don't, they don't know here in their heart of hearts and through their minds and their knowledge of the Scriptures, they don't know that they are saved and that they can trust that in Jesus. Because that foundation has been unplugged for them. Let's help them plug it back in. Amen? Let's pray. God Almighty, Thank you that your word is true, and it's, it's so crystal clear, and it's black and white, and that's so helpful. And the enemy's trying to make the world into a gray, muddy world that you can do whatever you want to, think whatever you want to, and he's, he's sucking people into that morass of mindless evil. God Almighty, help us. Bring people into our, our sphere of influence like you did for Wiedemeyers. You brought someone to their, their rental, and they needed Jesus, They needed counseling. Perfect match. God, more of that. Bring people into our our lives, our sphere of influence, who are hungry for truth, who feel that this is all slippery and it's sideways and it doesn't feel good to me. God, bring people into our sphere of influence and then prompt us. Holy Spirit, help us. Lord, we're going to open our mouths. We're going to open our ears and listen. Then we're going to open our mouths and ask them, Uh, what's the foundation of your worldview? Here's mine. Uh, What's what's your foundation? And God, I pray that you'd bring those conversations about and that through those conversations, your Holy Spirit would work in the living truth of your perfect word and that you'd bring people to clarity and salvation and a new foundation in Christ and your word. God, we're glad to shine for you. Ramp up, turn up the intensity of the light that shines in us, Lord Jesus. And draw more people from the darkness into your glorious day. Bless you, mighty God. Thank you for, by your grace, bringing us into your your salvation, into your worldview. God, help us to bring more before the trumpet blows. Jesus, in your precious, powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.